Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, we will pick it up in verse 1. After two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. Verse 2, but they said, not during the feast, lest there be any uproar of the people. I've got two things to tell you today about the enemy. The first one, it's really important. Number one, the enemy is tricky. Mark is letting us know that a spiritual battle is taking place right before the death of Christ. Bottom line, the Pharisees, they want Jesus dead. Because the goal of the enemy is one. That goal is to kill, steal, and you know it. But I need to let you know the enemy is tricky. Because at this time, while the Pharisees are having their meeting, the disciples have no idea that this meeting of the enemy is taking place. Now, granted, Jesus has told the disciples three different times that he was going to go to Jerusalem, that the Pharisees were going to kill him, and that he was going to die. It went right over their heads. And this expresses because Jesus knew that he would die, it is that he was in absolutely in control, however. However, this secret meeting was not on the disciples' radar. They had no idea that the enemy was plotting and planning, and that's important. It's important especially when it comes to spiritual warfare, because some of us have no idea that it's taking place. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. You'll see the Apostle Paul and how blatantly he lets us know. It's Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to pick it up in verse 10. I asked you to turn there. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, against the tricks of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. There's generals, corporals, lieutenants. And what Paul is letting us know, he's informing us that there's an organized satanic army against us. Church, listen. Spiritual warfare is not an event that we hold here on Sunday night to come fight the devil. Spiritual warfare is a lifestyle for the soldier of Jesus Christ. And just like the disciples, though you may not be aware of the war that is raging around you, it doesn't affect the reality that it's actually happening. Christian, listen, we are at war, bottom line. Therefore, Paul, he says to beware of the wiles, of the tricks of the enemy. He's tricky. 
He's a tricky enemy. And the word that Mark uses, as you go back to Mark's gospel, chapter 14, the word trickery in Mark chapter 14, verse 1, that Mark used means the bait that you put on a hook. Can I tell you how tricky the enemy is? He knows how to bait us. He knows what bait is best for you. He has studied you. He's a good enemy. And every good enemy studies their enemy so they know how to bring them down. And your enemy knows exactly what bait to put on the hook. That's why Paul would write, Therefore, be strong in the Lord. I need to let you know something else about our enemy. Oh, this is the, the first is that he's tricky. The second is the enemy is also secretly strategic. Secretly strategic. The Pharisees are there meeting at night, having this meeting. No one knows what's going on, but they've got to figure out a way. They've got to make a plan to get Jesus when no one's around because they don't want to stir up the people. Because the enemy... The enemy is constantly making a strategic plan of attack against you. And let me tell you one of his greatest strategies. His greatest strategy is to convince you he's not real. That he's just a cartoon. He's something to laugh at. And he camouflages himself in our culture. He camouflages himself in our context. He camouflages himself in our connections. It's like when a husband comes home. And the wife, after a long day, says to her husband, why didn't you take the garbage out? Just look at her and say, get thee behind me. Don't you dare. But do you know how many marriages are falling apart because the enemy is trying to destroy them? In the church. Do you realize that the enemy, he camouflages himself in our music. He camouflages himself in our entertainment. He makes us laugh at sin. He he camouflages himself in our relationships. Listen, it was just the other day I was working out in the gym and I thought to myself, today I'm not going to listen to a message. I'm going to listen to some music. And I thought, oh, I'll listen to music of when I was 15 or 16 years old. So I pulled up a band that I used to listen to and I put that secular music and all of a sudden I started listening to the words. I can't believe I listened to that. Oh, that's what that's about. Oh my goodness. What are they doing in this song? I had to put on Christian music and start singing holy, holy, holy. When I was 16, it was just a good beat. When I was 16, it was just a fun tune to listen to. I didn't realize the enemy was pumping filth into my brain. But let me tell you another strategy. See, another strategy is to give you the bait and hide the hook. He's tricky. You see, he's secretly strategic. And he wants you to believe that you're the only one who can get away with it. Don't worry about it. You got this. You can handle it. Just take a little nibble. And before you know it, you're being dragged out of the water because you're hooked at the end of his line. This is why the Apostle Paul makes such a strong warning. We're at war. And he says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And what Mark does here, Mark 
lets us into this secret meeting to reveal the strategy of Satan to take Christ out at the cross. But Mark also does something else. Mark also reveals a comparison of what it's like to be strong and what it's like to fall. Mark chapter 14, let's look at verse 3. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman. Now this woman, we know from John chapter 12, this woman is Mary. She's the sister of Lazarus who is raised from the dead. And John tells us that Mary and Lazarus are sitting at this table. So the resurrected Lazarus and his sister are there, Mary. So this woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. John tells us it's about a pound. She broke the flask, poured it on his head. There were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Mary, I can't believe that you did this. Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a good work for me, for you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you don't have always. She's done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Jesus wants us to remember something about Mary's life. That's Mary. But take a look at our next character in verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, he went to the chief priest to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Now you see, John, in John chapter 12, he lets us know that this event actually happened six days before Passover. Mark, he pulls out that story because Mark doesn't write chronologically. Mark writes topically. So Mark pulls out the story because he's trying to reveal something. He's trying to reveal the tricky and secret strategy of Satan, and he's doing it through the life of Mary and Judas. Now, Mary and Judas, you ever notice when you go to our nursery and you volunteer, there's a lot of Marys, a lot of Marias, and there's very few Judases. Let's imagine. You walk up and you grab the little girl, and mom has just given birth two weeks earlier. Oh, what's her name? Maria. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, she's so wonderful. Now, just imagine you walk up to a mom who's holding a little boy, and she goes, he goes, you go, what's his name? And she goes, Judas. Listen, we don't name our children Judas. It's just one of those things that, one of those names that you won't find in our nursery. It's just one of those names that Christians usually don't name their children. We don't have a lot of Judases. But both of them are famous. Mary, she's famous for her devoted act. But Judas, Judas is famous for his dastardly act. But I need to let you know something about Mary and Judas. They share a lot in common. 
Now, before you stone me, I'm not talking about Mother Mary. I'm not relating Mother Mary to Judas. No, no, no. Listen, they have a lot in common. And I'm speaking about Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who was raised from the grave. And Mary and Judas, you're going to see in just a moment, they've got a lot in common. First and foremost, both of them had a genuine, real relationship with Jesus. Both of them did. In fact, every time that Jesus would go to Jerusalem, he'd stay over in Hotel Mary Martha. He would stay at their house. Take a look, Luke chapter 10, on his way. Now it happened as they went, uh, went that he entered a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now listen, Mary and Martha had such a relationship with Jesus that when Lazarus got sick, Mary sent word and said, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. The one that you're in deep relationship with, the one that you love is sick. Mary had a genuine relationship with Jesus, but so did Judas. Take a look at Psalm 55. David, prophetically speaking of Judas, says this. It's not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. Nor does he who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. If I knew it was my enemy, I'd know. It was you. A man my equal, my companion, and my acquaintances. Whoa. Judas was a companion, true friend of Jesus. You see, we have unfortunately 2,000 years of church history. And with 2,000 years of church history, we have a post-betrayal view of Judas. But prior to the betrayal, no one knew that Judas was the betrayer. He was a companion of Jesus. In fact, later on in the psalm, the Bible says, we took counsel together. We walked into the house of God in the throng. Listen, they were hand in hand walking as friends into the temple. No one knew prior to the betrayal that Judas would be the betrayer. Let me prove it to you. John chapter 13, there up in the upper room. Take a look. John chapter 13. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, speaking of Judas. And Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. No one knew why he said that. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. The disciples had no idea that Judas would be the betrayer. All they saw was Jesus and Judas, hand in hand, walking into the temple. They both, Mary and Judas, had a relationship with Jesus. Both of them heard the word of Christ. Both of them heard the word of Christ. Oh, both of them, we could say, were regular church attenders. You see, Mary, she loved sitting at the feet of Jesus. Whenever Jesus would come over to the house, they had a home Bible study. Can you imagine if Jesus is your teacher explaining the Old Testament? She would just sit there and absorb everything that she could. Imagine Judas. Think of the messages he heard. How many wish you could have been on the side of the mount at Sermon on the Mount and listened to Jesus give it to the first time? When Jesus said, you can't serve God and money, Judas was there. 
Judas was there when he said, what shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Judas heard that for the very first time. Judas heard the story of when Jesus said about the wealthy man who kept all of his possessions for himself, and Jesus called that man a fool. The only time that Jesus uses this word is to call that man, that selfish man, the most ignorant man in the world because he kept all of his money for himself. Judas heard that. They heard the word. But Mary and Judas had another thing in common. They both experienced the power of Jesus, much like us. Do you know what it takes for someone to get up out of their seat and walk forward? Do you have any idea the humility it takes? It takes the power of Jesus for them to get up out of their seat and give their life and devote their lives to Christ. We get to watch it every week. Don't ever take it for granted that what we see happening here is a miraculous transformation of life after life after life. But Mary, she got to watch her brother Lazarus come out of a grave. She got to watch from death to life. She experienced the power of Jesus, but Judas was there. Judas saw Lazarus come out of the grave. In fact, John says the list is endless. If he was to write all the miracles of Christ, there wouldn't be enough books in the Bible, books in the world, for us to be able to read them. Judas saw the feeding of the 5,000. He watched Jesus walk on the water. He watched Jesus calm the storm. In fact, not only did Judas see the power of Jesus, he experienced the power of Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And when he called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal the kinds of sicknesses, all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. Judas was one of the 12. Not only did he see the power, he experienced the power. Now, while they had many things in common, There is one profound difference between Mary and Judas. It was their devotion to the Lord. And unfortunately for Judas, his lack of devotion is going to cost him his life. Because Mary chose something. Mary chose to be strong in the Lord. You see, in what Mark is doing, her life reveals what Jesus thinks is memorable. In other words, there's something in Mary's life that we need to look at it in order to fight the enemy in our life. And Mark is trying to get this across to us that she had no problem expressing her love for Christ openly. Let me tell you why. Mary chose a life of public devotion. She wanted everyone to know that she was a believer. There was nothing closet Christian about Mary. There she was in front of everyone worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ because she was so overwhelmed by what Christ had done for her. She pours out this perfume and she anoints Jesus. And the Bible in John chapter 12 verse 3 says, When she poured this oil out, the entire house 
was filled with the fragrance. And let me tell you something about someone who chooses to live a life of public devotion. Everybody will smell the fragrance of Christ. When you walk in a room, they will sense the peace. They will sense the love of God. They will sense the joy in you. Listen, when my wife and I go out on a date and she puts a little jador on, as soon as she gets in that car, when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's Something happens when I smell that fragrance. It smells good. There's something about fragrance. It has an enemy called odor. And we all know what B.O. smells like. And you've got to ask yourself a question. When you walk in a room, is it fragrant or does it reek? You see, when we are openly devoted in our worship of Jesus, we become a force to be reckoned with against the enemy. We become a force. Let me tell you I'm driving down the other day, and I've got my hands up in the air, and I am singing this Christian song. And I look over, and this woman looks at me, and she looks at me as if I'm like a cracked pot. So you know what I did? I raised my hands even louder, and I sang even louder, and I began to worship the Lord because I know in my life, I know that when I publicly worship Him and everyone can sense the fragrance of the Christ, I am defeating the enemy no matter where I go. No matter the odor that he brings in, the fragrant aroma of Christ will put the air freshener in the room. Our public devoted worship destroys the enemy. Let me tell you something else about Mary. She sacrificially gave her best to Jesus. This jar of perfume was worth over a year's salary. One denarii was one day's worth of work, according to the Bible, and this was 300 denarii. That's over a year's salary. She wasn't given her leftovers. She was given her best. Mark tells us she poured it on the head of Jesus. John tells us she also poured it on his feet as well. She poured the whole pound out. She left nothing back. She gave it all. Do you know what happened after the first service here? There was a woman, and I know she's living in her car. She came to church, and she put on her best. She had an envelope. She handed me this envelope and she said to me, this is everything I've got and I want to give it to Jesus. It was two quarters. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I met the widow's might because she gave everything she had. Church, let me tell you something. When we give the Lord everything we've got, it strengthens us to withstand every evil attack. You can't be a half-hearted Christian. You've got the world. You've got the enemy. You've got your own flesh against you. You've got to give it everything you've got. You've got to pour it all out on Jesus. You can't go into faith half-hearted. Give it your best. But let me tell you something else about Mary. 
She loved the word of Jesus. Do you remember when we read Luke chapter 10? There she was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now let me tell you the other side of the story. Martha. Martha? She had a dinner party to get ready for. So she's getting the forks and she's walking by the room where Mary is. Oh, Mary, always sitting down doing kumbaya with Jesus. And then she goes over here and she's folding the napkins. She goes back into the room. Oh, Mary. <laughs> she's now washing the plates and making the lemonade and making the Kool-Aid and getting all the drinks in place. And she walks by. <laughs> Mary can't take it anymore. She marches in the room and she says, Jesus, tell Mary to help me. (laughs) Jesus responds in Luke chapter 10, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Church, You're doing what Mary did. It's a beautiful Sunday. And I know your family wanted you to meet at the beach, but you made the decision that you wanted to hear the word of God. Jesus says to you, you chose the better. You chose the better. You are here to hear the word of God. Listen, I'm a parent. And every Christmas I read Luke chapter 2. And every Christmas my kids would be like, can we just open the gifts? You read Luke 2 every year. Can we just open the gifts? Just give us the gifts. But as a parent, I made the decision to sit at the feet of Jesus to invest the word of God into their life because the Bible says that Jesus said, that's the better and the best thing to do. Now let me tell you something about Mary and what this little home Bible study did. She anointed Jesus to prepare him for his burial. Do you know what that means? John tells us she saved this pound of spikenard for this moment. Do you know what that means? That one day Mary was listening to Jesus. Jesus was telling his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And while it went like this to all the disciples... Mary got it. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And Mary alone believed the word of Jesus. And she saved that pound of spikenard. And she believed that Jesus was going to die. Imagine how difficult this was for someone who loved him. And she anointed him. And I have found that my wife oftentimes will trailblaze me spiritually and I'm tagging behind. Because let me tell you something about women. They have a sensitivity to God's spirit. Let me tell you something. The difference between a man and a woman. When a, man's, when a woman's car breaks down on the 405, she just lets it drift off to the side. And as it's drifting, she goes, dear Jesus, help me. But a man... We get out of the car, we lift up the hood, we look into the black abyss like we have any idea what we're looking about, and we pretend to fix it instead of calling out to God to help us out. It's the difference between a man and a woman. It's just what it is. They have a sensitivity to the Spirit. And Mary is setting an example for us that Jesus wants us to remember. She was publicly devoted to God. And when we 
Love, learn, and live the word. It keeps us strong in the face of attack. If we sit at the feet of Jesus and learn the word and love the word, and then we choose to live that word, when the enemy comes against us, he will run away just like he did with Jesus when Jesus said, it is written, and the enemy left him alone. That's Mary. Judas? Judas chose to betray the Lord. And his life? His life reveals Satan's strategy to destroy us. And so, church, what I need you to do is listen up. Have you ever asked yourself, what got into Judas? Like, are you serious? He fed you. He provided for you. I mean, you were the money box guy. You watched the feeding of 5,000. He protected you from the Pharisees. Like, anything you needed, all he had to do was say, God, and it was there. I mean... You watched him walk on water. Judas, what were you thinking? Well, Acts chapter 1 reveals something physically that helps us give insight spiritually. Take a look. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. This is after the resurrection. It said, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled. He was referring to the Old Testament, which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas. In other words, the Bible believes that the Old Testament is inspired and it's useful for our lives today. Who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, speaking of Judas, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. So he's talking about Judas and saying Judas was the one that betrayed Jesus. Take a look. Now this man, Judas, purchased a field with the wages of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails, his guts, gushed out. Ew. And it became known to all those who were dwelling in Jerusalem so that the field is called there in their own language, Akeldama. That is, field of blood. For it's written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. You see, what the Bible is revealing is that Judas was rotten from the inside out. You see, when Judas was hanging from that tree, the branch must have broken. He fell down. And when he hit something, his guts burst open because the Bible wants us to know that Judas was rotten from the inside out. And I'll tell you why. While Mary chose a publicly devoted life, it protected her from the enemy. Judas chose a life of secret sin. He chose a life of secret sin. And I want to prove it to you. It's John chapter 12. I ask you to turn there. Would you go there with me now? This is the same story in a different gospel to fill us in as to what's going on. John chapter 12. I'm going to pick it up in verse 4, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him. Now remember, John wrote this after the betrayal. He has a post-betrayal view of Judas. Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box 
and he used to take what was put in it. You see, Judas wasn't the commander-in-chief. He was the treasurer and thief. He had no concern for the poor. Jesus makes that clear. Because Jesus says to him, listen, you could always give to the poor. In other words, what the Lord was saying is, you've got enough money in that box to give to the poor at any time. But Judas never gave to the poor. Judas always gave to himself. His secret sin was the love of money, and it was destroying him. And when he couldn't get what he wanted, Jesus, that woman's got to sell. We should sell that, and we should make 300 denarii. Do you realize how much that will help the ministry? We've got to sell that, and we got the money. And Jesus rebukes him publicly. Let her alone. What do you mean, let her alone? How dare you publicly rebuke me? Do you know how long I've been with you, Jesus, for three years following you? And let me tell you what happened in Judas' heart. His love of money, his secret sin was destroying him. And when Jesus challenged him publicly, Judas got mad. Luke chapter 22, verse 3, the Bible says, Of this moment, then Satan entered Judas. Then Satan entered Judas, who was one of the twelve. And Judas was so mad at Jesus for publicly rebuking him, calling out his sin, he marched right up to the Pharisees to get back at Jesus. Now, here's the amazing thing. Here the Pharisees are wondering, now how are we going to get Jesus? How are we going to destroy him? We don't want to do it with the whole crowd. And they're trying to figure out a plan because the enemy is working. He's strategizing. But the enemy is also working with Judas. And he's making him bitter. He's making him resentful. He's making him mad. And now all of a sudden Judas shows up at the Pharisees and the Pharisees have their answer because the enemy has been strategically plotting and planning. No wonder the Pharisees were glad. They couldn't figure it out. That's why Satan figured it out for them. He'd already gone ahead. He'd already been in his strategy room. He'd already purposed to destroy Jesus. It amazes me that we don't realize that sometimes. He's out to get us. But you know what else amazes me? It amazes me that Jesus knew about Judas blows my mind. About a year and a half before this event, Jesus says this to his disciples. It's John chapter 6. Did I not choose you, the 12, including Judas? And one of you is a devil. And then John writes this after the betrayal. They didn't know before. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, For it was he who would, in other words, he hadn't yet, who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Church, the bottom line is Jesus knew. But you know what else blows my mind more than anything? He walks with Judas for another year and a half, knowing he's going to betray him. And listen, there at the Last Supper, you sit on the ground, you're getting ready to eat, and at the end of the meal... There's one last piece of meat. Now, I've been to Mediterranean countries, and I know this to be true. There's one last little piece of meat. And 
None of the kids touch that piece of meat. None of anyone touches the meat. The only person that touches that last little piece is the host. And he takes a piece of bread, and he grabs that meat, and he dips it into the juice in the bowl. And then the host gives his honored guest what's called the morsel. And Jesus dipped into that bowl, and he got that piece of meat, and he handed it to Judas. You're my companion. I love you. I know your secret sin, and I'm trying to reach you before it destroys you. Oh, the love of Jesus. Maybe he's trying to reach you. And as the host of this church is gone into the bowl and reaching out with his hands of love, I love you. I know your secret sin. But can I tell you that sin is not so secret? Hindsight is so much better than foresight. It's amazing to me that we read the Gospels and we look at it and go, of course it was Judas. Well, it's so much easier for us to call him out because we know, but they didn't know. But I need to let you know something about secret sin. Be sure your sin will find you out. So the Bible promises sin is not so secret. You see, secret sin gives us a sinful perspective and people can see it. Judas thought that the devotion of Mary was a waste, but Jesus thought it was memorable. You see, secret sin will never allow you to see things the way Jesus does. So if you're living with your boyfriend and you don't see anything wrong with it, let me explain. It's hard to agree with God when you're living in compromise. Secret sin will always give a sinful perspective. Secret sin? Oh, it's so obvious. Secret sin gives us a sinful character. Mark tells us that Judas was indignant. Now, that is not a pretty word, is it? Imagine I meet you and I go, hi, are you indignant? That'd be like me going, hi, are you ignorant? It's not a great word. And let me tell you what this word means. Mark is letting us know what was going on with Judas's character. He was bitter. He was resentful. He was mad at Jesus. And every time Jesus gave the word about money, he was building bitterness and resentment instead of repenting. He had an indignant character. Let me tell you about a, a resentful character. He started stirring up the other disciples. He started making them angry. Well, I can't believe that she wasted that money. Peter, you could have gotten 10% off the top of that. I mean, just imagine what he was doing because the Bible says he stirred up the other disciples. But not only that, his character was so off. Can you just imagine this moment? Here's Mary. She's already poured oil on his head. And now she's pouring oil on his feet. She believes that he's going to die. Can you just imagine the moment... This is the man that brought my brother who was dead in a tomb for four days. And I'm giving him my best. And in the middle of this moment, Judas comes on the scene. Mary, get up off your knees and give me that spikenard. I can't believe you'd waste that 300 denarii. You're a loser. It'd be like us on choir Sunday and your hands are up, and you're worshiping God, and someone sits next to you and goes, 
put your hands down. First of all, put deodorant on and you smell. And I can't believe you even came to church. Wow. God, oh, man, I can't, I'm moving. I'm not going to sit next to you. What a killjoy. Because secret sin gives us a sinful character. But let me tell you something else about secret sin. It's more obvious than what you think. Secret sin gives us sinful behavior. Have you ever looked at Galatians 5 and seen the works of the flesh? Anger, jealousy, envy, lust. And compare it to the work of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Do you have the fragrance of Christ or do you reek with B.O.? You see, secret sin, secret sin has sinful behavior. And when Judas came on the scene and said, we should have sold that, Jesus publicly rebuked him. Judas threw a temper tantrum. Don't you talk to me like that. That money's for me. I can't believe that she poured it out on you. I'm going to go tell the Pharisees on you. That's exactly what Judas did. You see, his secret sin caused him to betray the Lord. He was so mad at Jesus, so mad at the truth of Jesus, that he'd had it with Jesus. And that's why it's so important. We need to be careful how we respond to the word. Because let me tell you something about the word today. I'm not the word. I deliver it. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, you need to hear what the Bible says about the word. The Bible says that the word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. That means it goes into the creeks and the cracks and the crevices of your heart. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of your heart. Can I tell you something? I don't know your secret sin. Jesus does. And he discerns. And when he points it out, don't get mad at him. He is giving you a morsel. He's trying to tell you he loves you. Jesus is only trying to surgically remove secret sin so he can save you. From destruction. See, Mark reveals satanic strategy here. And Mark reveals in Mary the way to be strong in the Lord. Be publicly devoted. When a worship song goes off, when you go to work, choose to live a life of worship. But he also reveals in Judas the way to fall. Secret sin. Father, I come before you. And I want to thank you for your word and thank you for your great grace and thank you for what you have done all throughout the day today by the power of your spirit. I'm asking you, Lord, to move even now. The Bible says that judgment begins in the house of God. And it's not that God 
wants you to feel bad. It's that God wants you to have an abundant life. Now, you can choose to walk out of here today with your little secret sin. Nobody knows. You're right. No one knows besides the Lord. He knows what you're looking at. He knows what you're doing. And you wonder why you're so angry in your marriage. Secret sin. You're wondering why you exhibit more frustration than you do love, joy, and peace. Secret sin. And what the Lord is doing is he's reaching out a morsel. Now, you have a decision. Are you going to be Mary or Joseph? Uh, Judas. Because Judas, when he got the morsel, he walked away from the Lord. But Mary, she never forgot what the Lord did for her, and she publicly worshipped him. So here's what I'm going to have you do. Jesus said that Mary's life was memorable. There's something about public devotion that God honors. And I don't care who you are. You're a believer sitting there today, and you're struggling with a secret sin. Today's the day to change. And like Mary, you need to come to the feet of Jesus and pour it all out. Give him everything you got. It's time for you to not be a half-hearted Christian. It's time to give him your best. Because the stream of tendency, the stream of your flesh is against you. And maybe you need to follow Mary's example. And in front of everyone, just like she did, display your public decision for devotion. But maybe you're not even a believer and you're here. You're living in sin. It's not secret. You're just in it. What's it done for you? See, you're not here by accident. You're here because God drew you. It's what he does. You're not here because your mom or your dad dragged you to church. Otherwise, you weren't going to get your birthday meal. No, no, no. You're here because the Spirit was working in your mom or dad to bring you here to hear that mess- this message. God loves you. And he's reaching out to you, and you get to make a decision. Will you walk away and go the way of the enemy who wants to destroy you, or will you choose abundant life, eternal life? That's your decision. So I'm going to open up this altar. If you're a believer and today you need, like Mary, to follow her example and make a memory with Jesus and say, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I'm renouncing my secret sin and I am going to purpose to give everything I've got to my faith. Or if you don't know Jesus and you want a relationship with him, listen. If you knew behind door number one was abundant and eternal life and behind door number two is destruction, come on. And the problem is the enemy's a liar. So he's telling you, don't go behind door number one. Take door number two. And he puts all these lights and glitter. You need to come this way. He tries to tell you there is no eternal life because he's a liar. He's a trickster. It's his strategy. Maybe today you need to make the decision to make the right choice. Choose Jesus. 
This altar is going to be open. You be the first to get up out of your seat. We'll meet you here. Let's watch God and His power change lives. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.